All right, good morning, good morning. Let us begin uh, with a prayer. I just want to make sure that I pray the, uh, the right one. And it's this one here. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, fulfill in us thy promises and grant, we ask you, that when the day shall come, when we may sit down with all the redeemed at the heavenly feast and praise thee in eternal light. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is a fitting prayer for what we're going to discuss today. I will just want to repeat, so the, the, the reading is from 2 Timothy 2.19 that I read before the prayer, and it says, The Lord knows those who are His. Keep that in the back of your mind as we go through today's lesson. And then the prayer is very nice. Fulfill in us your promises and grant that when the day will come, we may sit down with all the redeemed in the heavenly feast and praise you in the eternal light. Praise you in the eternal light. We're going to talk a lot about light today because we're still in Peter, of course, but I decided to shift gear just a little bit. And instead of continuing verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Today, we're going to talk about more of a theme than a continuation. We will go back to the continuation, I promise. But I want to talk about salvation history and how Peter talks about that in his letter. Because this is a long time together that we'll have, uh, and Peter is not necessarily a long letter, this is what I want to do. I will tell you exactly what my plan is, which is dangerous, because then if I don't fulfill it, if I mess up halfway, I can just be like, well, that was the plan originally. But So Peter has five, uh, two, three, four, five, right? Has five uh, chapters. Right now, we are sort of in the middle end of two. What I would like to do, if you have any objections, you can talk to me later and I will listen. I would like to go through this just as we have been doing. What's chapter one about? What's chapter two? Let's get, you know. And then when we get done, I would like us to hit on general themes, because as we've talked about before, Peter talks about the same things in different words. Peter's very good at that, and not just saying once, but saying it, let's say, twice in the first chapter and saying it in different ways, and then saying it again in the second and in the third. But I don't want to keep doing this. Oh, look, Peter said something we've already heard of in chapter one, but he says it in chapter two, so now let's go back and look at it in chapter one. So that will just, I think that's going to mess it up a little bit. So what I want to do is go through the letter, as we have been doing, and then look at specific themes that keep coming back. I think that's what, how I want to structure it. 
except for today. So today is where we will talk about a theme. And you know what? Depending on how this goes, again, this is my first rodeo doing it this way. And depending on how it goes, maybe we'll do that again. Maybe I'll throw a theme in right here or a theme in right here. This is a smart and flexible group, and I know I can do that. I mean, yeah, it's not your first rodeo. So I just want it to be organized. I don't want it to seem like this is scatterbrained. So if it is, you let me know. And then we'll work out a work out our salvations. But that's what we're doing. So we stopped here, sort of halfway through two. But today I want to talk about salvation because one of the things that we keep saying in this course is that Peter is not writing to save people. What do I mean by that? They're already Christians. They're already Christians. So spe very specifically, that's what I mean. Is he writing to save people in a general sense? Of course he is. That's what scripture is all about. Right? Here's God. He sends his son. He dies. He's resurrected for you. Right? That's what scripture is about. Death and resurrection for Jesus and now for you. So of course Peter's writing to save people. But in this letter specifically, he's not talking about this is how you convert somebody. This is how you... Yeah, I'll stop right there because that's exactly what I mean. That's not what this letter is necessarily about. So, Peter isn't happy with just saying, then this is how you live. He actually says, okay, there are ways that we're saved, or we are saved and there are ways, different ways that we can talk about it. This is what today will be about. How does Peter talk about salvation not necessarily Christian living. I'm sort of putting that aside. I'm putting aside the bulk of his letter. And I want to focus a little bit today on how does he talk about justification? That's the fancy language, I guess, right? What does Peter say about justification? And if you remember what we've been going over in uh, chapter 1 and in chapter 2, and those who have read ahead and should have, you know, Peter's a short letter, he talks about salvation in very beautiful ways. So that's what I want to look at. So that's what I'm going to tell you that we're doing today. It just, uh, the, the handout seems long, but it's not. The font is a little bigger. And two pages. Let's dive in. The now and the not yet. Who's heard of that term before? Now and not yet. That's right. What does that mean? What period are we, and what period is Peter, or was Peter, and his recipients caught in? And why is it called the now and the not yet? And why, and how, and does Peter actually talk about this? So the now, and again, I'm sorry if this is elementary, but we'll... Uh, We'll go over it very quickly. What is the now and what is the not yet? What does that mean regarding salvation? Heilsgeschichte, if anybody's listening. What's the now and the not yet when it comes to salvation? Not fulfilled. Not fulfilled in the moment. It's not fulfilled in the moment. Ah. Yeah, that's right. Holly. Uh, it is. We are now saved. 
We are now saved. Do you agree with that? We are now saved. Because you went to that one, right? Not, not yet. Well, but I am very sick today. And it doesn't seem like I'm saved. Because? Because it's the not yet. That's right. So the now and the not yet. What, when is the not yet? What will happen? What, what is the, what's the culminating event of the not yet? Second coming. Anybody know the fancy Greek word for it? For a, for a star? I refused to give you a star last week, Carol. I apologize. I felt bad. I went home and asked forgiveness, went to confession after that one. The eschaton. Right, eschaton. There you go, you just earned your gold star. Jesus comes back, that's right. Jesus, yeah. Um, How does Peter talk about this part right here? Well, that's not, yeah, there you go. What's the big word that he uses what happens during that part? Born again, but that's not quite it. You're going to live a life, and it should be a life of joy, but it will also be a life of But as we have been reading this letter, is it a, like a Debbie Downer of a letter? Have you been feeling like really terrible about reading this? I hope not, because I don't think that's the goal of 1 Peter. I think it is, he is giving us the heavenly reality, the divine reality of this is how it will, this is how it looks like. And does it look like suffering? Absolutely. Peter would be lying to us if he said, all joy all the time. Nobody has any tummy aches or boo-boos ever, right? That's not how scripture talks. So Peter is very clear about the suffering. Suffer now for just a little while is how he talks. So this is the period, the middle of the Jesus has come and brings pleasures eternal and He will come again. But we're in this now and not yet. So, I put in 1A2. How does Peter address this period? And how does he write about it? A couple of... uh, If you have your Bible open to 1 Peter, which I invite you to do... Somebody read, please. Oh, the verse I kind of just quoted. Um, Somebody do for me one, five, and six. Anybody? Holly. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, that's the not yet. Revealed at the last time, but... In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
verse 13 of the same chapter. Please, somebody. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Right. Set your hopes on what will come, but is here now. And then our famous um, 2 9, right? We spent a lot of time in 2 9. Um, and 2 9 is going to be something we talk more about today. But this idea of, oh right, I'll ask you, is 2-9 a now or a not yet more of a, I don't want to split this. I don't want to make this, this is not my goal today, is to say, oh, no, the, these verses are categorized as now and these verses are categorized as not yet. That would be a, perhaps a not productive exercise for anybody. But 2-9, if we were to categorize it, is 2-9 a now or a not yet verse? Go ahead. Dissenting opinion from Krista. Go ahead. Why not yet? Because we, we don't see it in the moment. Oh, we don't see it at the moment. Would we agree with Krista? I think, uh, why wouldn't we see it? Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke a little bit more at this. We see it in, in the love to each other. Sometimes, I think. Oh, you're really focusing on the not fulfilled, not holy, holy with an H, with a W, I mean, with a W. It's not wholly fulfilled. I agree with that. Yeah. But, I'm going to have a comma, but, how does this seem like a now verse as well? What verbs make it a now ver verse? Yeah, you are, you, right, even a, a, a for, a, a past tense, past perfect, maybe. You have received, this is done, that you may declare, right, the excellencies. Yeah, so if we look at Peter and how, in, in First Peter, and how he talks about the now and not yet, we could spend hours and that's not my, then we won't. But and how he talks about what Jesus has done to me, who I am today, and then what? Just in terms of salvation, in the fulfillment. If we just talk about that and not even talk about now the Christian living side of it, there's a lot there. So point B, salvation unto us has come. We all love that hymn. How does Peter say that this happened through whom? Do you guys have any verses that come to mind at that, as we've read this? How has this happened in Peter's terms? Not in what we learn necessarily in catechism. That condenses all of that very well. But how does Peter talk about this having happened? He talks a lot about it in chapter 1. Then he sprinkles it all over the other chapters. All over the place. One, three. Who said it? Please. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, 
What has he caused us to do? And how did it happen? That's one way Peter talks about it. Exactly. Somebody read 3.18. Now we're going a little bit ahead of our list here that we've had. We haven't really touched chapter 3. But for today's sake, let's go. 3.18, I think I said, right? Yeah. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That sound like uh, justification? Right? Not, not necessarily sanctification. Is this talking about how to live? Just this verse. No, just saying. Keep going. Uh, just how does that end? Oh, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Does he go into great depth saying how this happens? No. Because, Janice has already said, these are Christians. Remember, remember, remember. That's, uh, I might touch on that this week's sermon. So uh, that's one of my things that I've been thinking about. Um, if anybody has another one that they found, they can share. Uh, there are plenty in here if you, um, if you have that. Um, there's the famous one, of course, that we'll get to. 321. That's a very, very, very famous one. What does 321 say? Baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you. There you not go. as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's certainly salvation talk right there. The word save is even in the, in the verse. But then our... Uh, 2.9. How does that talk about salvation without talking about salvation? How does it talk about us being saved? Does it talk about Jesus dying and us being washed with his blood or being baptized? How does 2.9 actually talk about salvation? We belong to God. We are now His. But what happened? What was that? What was the... Um... We were called out of darkness. There it is. That's how he talks about salvation. Through light. That's how he chooses in that period, in that verse, to talk about salvation. Does he obviously understand that it's about Jesus and us? Of course he does. Does he know that it's through the resurrection? Of course he does. Does he know that it's through the, uh, the death of Jesus? Of course. But here, he decides to talk about light. Out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yeah. So, this is just a simple question in 1D. How much of the work of our salvation is done by God? And how do we know? Completely based on Peter. The how do we know question is, how do we know from this letter that the work is done by somebody? Who's that somebody? God does all the verbs. That sounds like a memorized line. Huh? No, okay. <laughs> no, that's right. He's doing it all. Um, 
I thought we were going to get more discussion on that, but you hit it right on the head, and there's not much more to say, but go ahead. There's even, I mean, in 210, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, so there's the, the verb of receiving. Yeah, like the gift that we talked about last week or two weeks ago. You have received it. Yeah, so I just wanted that question. I don't want to go into too much because it's fairly obvious. We've been talking about this over and over. So, then we, there's the verse, you have been called. I just want to touch on that because it comes up twice. It's point one E, and it's at 221. It's not something that we've touched yet, but we're very close to. I put 221, and I want you to write down also, if you have a pen and you're interested, 3, 9. 221 and 3, 9 use the same phraseology. The for this you have been called. For this you have been called. And again, you have been called is passive. God is doing all the verbs. So in Three uh, and two twenty-one. What has, what have they been called to do? The subject here, the the context of this verse is about servants and masters. It's about one being over the other, and this is being spoken to servants. So, what is Peter talking about here? So in verse 20, let's start there. For what credit is it if, when you sin and you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What is gracious? Doing good, suffering for it, and enduring. For this you have been called. Because guess what? Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you might follow in his steps. For this you have been called. Suffer, enduring, and it's a gracious thing. That's tough for us to swallow. Because you might think, well, he's just talking about servants, because this is the part that he's talking about, servants. But then he puts it to Christ. And as soon as he touches Christ, it certainly applies to everybody, I think. Because you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Now we can debate, is Christ suffering for you just for these servants that he's talking about? Or is he talking about it for everybody? Right? One of the things that I want to talk about when we get to this, uh, be subject to your masters, be subject to the institutions, be subject to your husband, be subject to your pastors. That's later on in chapter 4 or 5. The room is full of people. The room is full of masters and servants and husbands and wives and pastors and maybe unbelievers even. So it's not, when this letter is being read, it's interesting that in this room of people, everybody's there. And so when he's talking about this suffering or this being, you know, it's kind of those like those who have ears to hear. 
It's like I'm talking to this table about something that I'm telling you to do, but then somebody at this table needs to hear it as well. You know, they should be listening too. But that's for next time. More of it for next time. It's something that I've been thinking about. Um, so when Peter talks to servants, obviously other people are listening. When Peter talks to the wives, obviously other people are listening. When people, Peter talks to the pastors, obviously everybody else is in the room because he's telling the pastors, there's no heavy-handedness here. You are a servant of the gospel and you're not doing it out of ambition and you're not doing it out of force. And these people have their ears up. They're like, the pastors are in the room and they're listening to this person reading this letter from Peter. They better be listening. But he's telling everybody this. My original point was, for this you have been called to suffer and to endure. And how does that sit? And then I want to jump very quickly to 3.9. Somebody read that. 3.9. And how does 3.9 match up with 2.21? Different words. Somebody read 3.9 for me. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For this you have been called. What are the similarities between those two verses? Different words except for the to this you have been called. That's the only similarity in terms of word for word. But what's, uh, what matches? Suffering and not getting back at somebody. Exactly. When you say, hmm, if you're a Christian, and you say, oh, I suffered and I endured through that. I endured through the suffering. That verb endure, is it something that you... Hmm, I don't know, how do you understand the verb endure? Like, is it more of a passive, I went through this, or is it like I fought through this? Right. Yeah, I see it as more passive because in endurance you're kind of like letting something happen to you versus I think these are very good and I expected to hear both answers and I don't think one is wrong or the, right in my head I'm like yeah somebody who's going through a really 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 tough time you don't see them enduring but they're enduring they're there they're coming every day and it's in here but then somebody who's physically enduring something, that's a whole other thing. You see it. So I think it's both. It can be very passive and it can be very active. So endure the suffering. But then all the way at the verse that was just read, that Martha read, don't pay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but bless. Because you know what? To this you have been called. Evil's going to be done to you. Don't do it back to people. People are going to revile you. Don't revile back. You're going to suffer. You're going to endure through it. Because to this, you have been called. Now, an interesting thing with this verb, with this phrase, is that you have been called. 
This is salvation talk. This is like sanctification, uh, justification talk. You have been called. But then the other half of the verse is very, this is Christian life. To this you have been called, to endure. So let's jump to F. How are you called, and why does he choose to talk about light? We talked about light last time, and I thought that we had talked a lot about it, but I want to go back to it and what it, um, what Peter's trying to get at here. So I put a bunch of verses that talk about light. From Ephesians, John, Matthew, Isaiah, and then of course even our creed. Walk as children of light, Paul says. John 1. This is, is going to be a test now. Uh, what is John 1 all about? When he says, the true light. Obviously, we know who he's talking about. We don't need to touch that. But what is the context of this? Creation. But I want to go, I want to, I think I want another answer. What's John want? Well, yes, 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 yes. Obviously, I know, I know, I, now I know I'm with you on this. But what is he talking about later after he talks about creation? A few verses down. It's the Christ coming into the world, the light coming into the world, the true light. Yeah. I am the light of the world, then John says. I mean, Jesus says in John. Matthew, then Jesus says, who's the light of the world? You are. I'm the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And then interestingly, Isaiah. When do we hear this, uh, when do we hear this passage from Isaiah? Yeah, Advent, right? The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Reminds me of Handel's Messiah. The people who walketh in darkness, they sing. Um, and then, of course, the Nicene Creed. God of God, light of light. So my question to you is, is all of this salvation talk, justification talk, or is it sanctification talk? How you walk closer to Jesus. What do you think? Both is the right answer. Now I want to talk about the why. And we talked about that last class. I do remember last week we started, because that's we ended with light. And I want to talk about what it means for it to be both justification and sanctification, and I hesitate to use those words just because we don't normally talk like that in our everyday conversation, but uh, when Jesus calls us to be his and when we live in his paths. When we live in, in Christ's light, we are reflective of it. We are a reflection of Christ's light. Christ's light 
to everybody else. Yeah. Remember we talked about last time, there were a couple of ladies here at this table last week who were uh, complaining that the uh, men last night or two, two weeks ago had left some crumbs on the floor from their Bible study. Um, and I said, well, how were you able to see those crumbs? We said, because we turned the lights on. So what's a blessing of turning on the lights? What's the blessing of having light? You don't fall down and break all of your bones. That's right. It's a good thing that we have this light. Um, oh, great study done. Um, great studies have been done regarding something that we're completely unfamiliar with. At least I am. And it is what darkness actually is. Like nighttime darkness. Because like we don't face that anymore. There's street lamps all over the place. We have lights in our house. But like genuine darkness when there was no electricity and how that shaped people's lives in terms of fears, in terms of not going out because it's just dangerous. That's just been, we've been sort of anesthetized to that and not fully understanding what the dangers of darkness actually is. If we lived 300 years ago, or not even that, if you grew up with just one generation before you, maybe in a farm or in a place with no electricity, you know what that is. Like People don't go out at night because it's just dark and dangerous. These people completely understand it when it says they've called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. They've called you out of danger. They've called you out of a place where the next step you could take is somebody that could, on a good day, on a good night, break a bone, on a bad night, worse. So that's the realistic understanding here, the, the, the real understanding of these people and talking about darkness and light. So, when the lights are turned on, instantly you can see. This is also Bible talk, right? I was blind, but now I see. It's not just Bible talk. It's Jesus, actually Jesus' hands talk, right? He rubs his hands and somebody can now see the blind see, the lame walk. Is that justification talk or sanctification talk? Right, like, right, the, the, as you, I want a knee-jerk reaction. Dark and now you see. It's completely justification talk, right? Just like you're dead, now you're alive. You're sick and now you're healed. You're lame and now you walk. You were deaf, and now you hear. But now that there is, now that you have legs to walk on, what do you do? You walk. Now that you have ears to hear, you hear. Now that you have breath in your lungs, Lazarus, just don't stay laying there. Get out of that stinky tomb. Stinking tomb, I could have said that. There's this immediate push now to sanctification because now that there's light in this room, 
what can you do now that you see those things under the table? Exactly. Right. So the light allows you now, the light that Jesus has given you, allows you to clean up the things you can see. Step over those holes that you might fall into where once you used to break your bones. Yeah, or stub your toes, even worse. Well, I don't know if that's worse. To some people, that's worse. Yeah, any thoughts about that? Anything going through your head as we talk about this idea of light being both initially a uh, justification point for Peter, but now it's a how you walk every day. Now that you have this, you didn't have this, and now you have this. Yeah. Then to be cheeky there on G, I said to sound a little bit more Lutheran. All right, we read this. I think uh, somebody read that back there. The righteous suffered for the unrighteous. I need to put it plainly. We talked about baptism. How about H? I'm curious about point H. One. Nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What does this mean? can make you squirm. What do you mean obtaining? Sounds like I'm obtaining something. But what's all this talking about? What's this obtaining? The outcome of your faith. What do you think he's talking about here? Why is he putting this now on us? Say more, Donna. I think it could be the result. Uh-huh. Because God has given us this faith. And that's how we've obtained it. So it's not necessarily an active thing. It's still passive. And that will lead to our salvation. That will lead to our salvation. What would she say? She said that it's gift, if I'm going to condense what you said, it's gift talk. Right? It's, you've obtained it because somebody's given it to you. Would you say that? That's the result of something that has been given to you. Yeah. 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 Receiving the goal where it's... Oh, receiving. Uh, this is... Yeah. Receiving the salvation. Uh, the, receiving the outcome of your faith. But outcome sounds like this has to be something active for us, right? The outcome of your faith. That means that your faith needs to be alive and active and working and living in the light and in the Word. Because then you will obtain, receive, its outcome, right? The salvation of your souls. So, 
to finish up this section, how do we view this as history? And again, I did put salvation history because this is like almost, it is a formal theological term, salvation history. Um, for example, if, you know, starting from Genesis, how does this actually happen to us? What is the history of this salvation? But what I mean here is how do we view this term as history? What is history for us when we talk about George Washington or the founding of Wheaton or something like that or the founding of St. John? What is history in that sense and why is that not the same as what we're talking about today? How is salvation history different from the Declaration of Independence in 1776? Uh, so let me just go through the word again. How do we view this as history, but something outside of time and space? So let's first describe 1776. How's that history? It's in the past and it's done. Few of us will disagree with that. Right? That's history. When you go to history class in school, you're not learning about things that will happen. You're not learning about things that are happening, usually. You're learning about things that happened. So how is this term, salvation history, for Christians, outside of time and space? The now and the not yet. That's how this term is different for us than for, for example, secular studies. In secular studies, these things have happened already. For us, it's happening. A baby will be baptized on Sunday. Has his Jesus died already in the past for him? Absolutely. It's an event that happened. But he will be saved on Sunday and received. He'll be baptized on Sunday and received and received the gift of Jesus that day. It's happening. And it's happening right now to you being saved. Repentance, forgiveness, the Lord's Supper, the consolation of the saints, the rubbing in your ear of God's Word, right? It's not just this happened 2,000 years ago. It's active and living. And it's beautiful. Yeah, so that's why it's outside the salvation history of time and space. So then um, the second section, getting saved and living saved... I know we don't have a tremendous amount of time, but I did want to touch on some of these points. Justification gets you in. Sanctification is what you do after you're in. And how does Peter differentiate the two? Any ideas? That was just a broad question. But how does Peter differentiate from us getting in and then what you do when you get in? Just a broad question. I don't think I have anything specifically in mind, but 
Yeah. He says, once you were darkness, but now you're light. Once you're darkness, now you're light. You're in. But now what? Now it's the, what do you do after you're in? I was thinking of um, that you are um, confessing your sin. That you are realizing that you are a sinner. Right. <laughs> confessing your sin and realizing your sin. Now what do you do that you're in? Right. You confess your sins. Be thankful. Ha. Huh. Yeah, we haven't talked about gratitude a lot in this class. And it's not, huh. I should look at more of Peter. But Peter talks about joy, right? And we're assuming that people who are joyful are thankful people. But that's a good point. I should go back and dig some more to see what he says about thankfulness. But yeah, now that we're in, how does Peter talk about now what do we do? <laughs> Somebody who... Okay, there's some proclamation going on. Yeah, that's good. But then, this is going to happen too, right? He keeps talking about that. The suffering that we go through. How is this letter different from many of Paul's? We talked about this. I put this question in here, but we've talked about this a lot. Peter doesn't go into the details of the, sancti of the justification. He doesn't use as um, what's been described. He doesn't use this um, courtroom language. Peter doesn't. That Paul does. You know, judge, righteous, unrighteous. He doesn't really use that language. He just uses to converting unbelievers. Converting unbelievers. Yeah. The Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Not what we worry about necessarily here with Peter. So, for this you were called that you might follow in his steps. What did Jesus do? And now what do we do? Right? I put ver uh, chapter 2, verse 24. That's right. And by his wounds, you have been healed. So what's, uh, here's another, we have not touched on this at all, verse 25, at all. But what's another way that he talks about it? What's the, what's the, uh, uh-huh. Bunch of sheep. Going our own way, unless the shepherd's there. Yeah. And I think that's another, uh, well, not, I think this is another way that he talks about us. Straying sheep. We have returned to the shepherd and. Shepherd and what? I want to see what your translations have. Oh, nobody has the word bishop, huh? Interesting, because that's the translation, right? An over, a bishop, what does he do? He's an overseer, right? And so uh, the bishop of your souls, literally. So when Timothy and Paul, they talk about bishops, like leaders of your church, like pastors, they use the same word, overseers. But so translators have a good time figuring out when they're going to put overseers and when they're going to put bishops. It depends on the crowd they're selling their Bibles to. But that's a different conversation. Um, 
Right, returning sheep. Sheep that were astray and now are coming back. Great summaries of justification and sanctification. And then first, uh, chapter 3, 8, and 9. I love this. And I have it written here. Finally, all of you. And why does he say all of you? This is what I want to get to next week. He says all of you because just before that, he was talking to husbands and wives. Before that, he was talking to masters and servants, slaves. Before that, he was talking to everybody. He talks about be subject to the authorities. But now he says, hey, all of you, unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. And we've read this one before. Don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. Bless, for you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. Bless. Sweet words. These are sweet words. Is that the same That's homework for me. I didn't bring my... Uh, yeah. Let me give you a website. This will be my homework, but I'm going to give you a website if you want to uh, have some fun. I know you guys love having fun with biblical languages, so I'll, uh, I'll write this on the board. I don't know the website, but I do know Google. So, for example, you type in First Peter... What verse is that again? Three, three, nine. And then you type in the word right after. Interlinear. And it, the first link that will come up will be a interlinear Bible, which means that you'll get the English text, sorry, you'll get the Greek text, and right under each Greek word, will be the English word. So, like, you can't get lost because there will be English there. Of course, it will be in the order that the Greek word is in, which is not in the order that our text is in, right? Just word order changes in language. So, you can see then if what that word is, and then you go and type in another first Peter, blah, 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 and then you see what that word is. The challenge is then, maybe I'm giving you too much homework, click on that word, it'll take you to another tab with like the root of that word because maybe that word is the same as this word in the other verse but they're just conjugated differently so maybe they'll look differently so sorry for the rant there but this is fun to use and for you to us to see hey is that like that or is that way different than that um okay uh, we are finishing i'm not going to go over the questions because we talked about all of this already we've been talking about these questions, all of our, in every single session that we've had, what does it look like to honor God in the church? How do we honor God as the church? What does look, life look like here and outside? How do we make sure that we live that life? What are sanctification practices that keep us under the fold of the chief shepherd, the bishop of our souls?
what and who need to be our centers and what does that look like? What is the Christian living in the light? And why is that hard? So I put a little icon of Jesus on the bottom because he's saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So that's what I have today. It's some review for most of us, I think. Um, but again, it's how Peter discusses this topic in his letter, the topic of justification. Next week, uh, I would like to talk about, continue the, the chapters. So we'll finish chapter 2 and go into chapter 3 because I want to talk about subject, that verb. The verb be subject to. There are four of these in 1 Peter. Be subject to, be subject to, be subject to, be subject to. Three of them are one right after the other. Bup, 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 bup. Easy to find. The fourth one comes all the way near chapter 4 or 5. So I, uh, I, that's maybe the, the real homework that I give you. is not necessarily to go to the interlinear website. But to see who we are subject to. I think that's very interesting. That's what we're going to talk about next week. What does it mean to be subject to somebody? So, let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. See you guys Sunday.